I've been speaking about righteousness. And, um, you know, the straight up definition we have in our head with regard to righteousness is, you know, like being made clean. You know, we, none of our works, we can't be good enough ourselves to be righteous. So our righteousness comes from what Jesus did on the cross. And, you know, we have this, this core part of the Christian faith, which is righteousness comes not by how good we are, not by our works, but, but by faith through grace. And it's that, that faith in God that the Lord looks at and it's credited to us as righteousness. It goes all the way back to Abraham, who is our father because he's the father of the faith. He believed God. And the story continues. And so it's a wonderful thing. You know, we're, we're recipients of, of these things that have come into our mind. We were talking before at communion time about, you know, we know something. And this knowledge is made available and it's then it's presented to us and we can believe. And when we believe, something happens. We, something comes alive on the inside. We, we become saved. And this is a spiritual transaction, an astounding miracle that that which was dead spiritually becomes alive. The ability to commune with God. And so that's the, the, the base, you know, straight up meaning of, of the first thing that comes into our head with regard to righteousness. But there's more. Talking, because you'll have other parts of scripture talk about how, you know, Christ is referred to as, you know, righteousness. The, the term your righteousness is refers to God, you know, as in, well, God, you have something. And so it's like, oh, righteousness is something. And then it flips around and talks about, well, we can have a righteousness too. And then it talks even more and goes on and refers to things like there is a, a righteous rule or a kingdom of righteousness. All these, these concepts are present in scripture. And it's like, wow, the subject is actually bigger than what I thought. And so we're going to continue to explore a little bit more. And, and so this, today I've named this message, you know, exploring righteousness again, but, but it's to do with the spirit of righteousness and the role of the Holy Spirit in it. Let's just read this passage. Hopefully I don't get too carried away because there's so many little things you can get carried away with, with this subject. And so I'll do my best to remain focused. Here in John 16, verses 7 to 11, it says, Nevertheless, I'll put, give you the paraphrase. Jesus is talking about the giving of the Holy Spirit. You know, he's, he's going to go away. And um, it's a very interesting set of chapters, John 14 through 15 into 16. And here Jesus is saying, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. That helper being the Holy Spirit. Some versions will have the comforter. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. And so, 
This passage got me really thinking the other day, you know, in terms of reason, like the reason of the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Because you read it straight up there, it says that the Holy Spirit will come and the work of the Holy Spirit is that he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. But then Jesus goes on and says, you know, concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. And you think, oh, so that's the reason. Because they don't believe? And, um, and then it goes a little bit, it got me really thinking, concerning righteousness, because that's, that's the subject that I've been really interested in lately. Because I go to the Father and you'll see me lo- no longer. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father. You think, oh. And that's, that's the reason. And then concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. So we're going to spend a little bit of time exploring these concepts, what they, what they might mean. Feel free to interrupt if you have a revelation, because sometimes, you know, sometimes you can become wiser than your, than your teachers. You know, if you happen to have been intrigued in the past by these concepts, the Holy Spirit might have taught you something. And, um, and you can be a blessing to us all. So if you have a testimony about some revelation concerning the work of the Holy Spirit and the conviction of the Holy Spirit, please share. But let's begin to discuss. So here we have this concept here. First of all, he's going to convict the world concerning sin. And so straight up, you know, when you think of conviction, that means the the work of the Holy Spirit comes in, you feel convicted, that means, oh, something that I'm doing is, is wrong. But here, it's, it's not only personal, but this is a whole-of-world concept because the Bible says, says he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So, so this, God, this, this concept applies to all of humanity and all of the, the structures of humanity. And so the first thing that we can say is that, you know, the work of the Holy Spirit is, is revealing some power that comes into our understanding, revealing that the way of the world is, is altogether wrong. And so that's fairly straight up. We could accept that, you know, that the Holy Spirit's coming in and saying, your way of doing things is wrong, and this is the way, Christ's way. It's sort of one of those overarching things that covers it all. But then we think here, look at the, the, the actual reasons concerning sin because they do not believe in me. So now we're thinking, well, sin and righteousness are sort of concepts that stand by, by, side by side because, you know, if sin reigns in your heart and you have sin and all of the belief structures that cause the sin and perpetuate the sin and you have no desire to move out of the sin, well then, you know, that, that gives you this, this idea that, well, if sin is here and this is your attitude to sin, then righteousness, you know, is not near you. And so when righteousness comes along and all the belief structures that surround righteousness and the things that cause you to not want to sin and when you do sin, you feel really sorry and disappointed in yourself and then you go, Lord, Lord, please forgive me for that sin. 
There's, there's another thing going on in your heart where the Holy Spirit is at work. And both of these things, can you see that in both of these situations where you have sin at work and you have righteousness at work, what you're believing is very, very important. Because it's what you believe that actually sets up the system of governance in your own brain which causes you to choose. We just spoke before regarding belief in this building fund. You know, and the base reason why in this small fellowship with, you know, just a few of us here, you know, the Lord said to me, you need to start something, even if it's only small. And so we started something because we want to believe something, because we are believing something. And to not do it, to not start something, also means we're believing something. You know, if I said to God, no, I don't think it's worth taking up a building fund offering here in Mount Morgan, what I'm actually saying to God is, I don't believe that this place will ever change and that this place will ever... And so I don't want to be on that camp. So that's sort of a little bit... That's an illustration, not a very good illustration. But here we have the work of sin. And the reason why sin might reign in your heart is because you're believing a set of things the way of the world. And the reason why righteousness could reign in your heart is because you're believing a set of things, which is the way of Christ. And so belief is very, very important. And here we have here the work of the Holy Spirit saying that he is going to convict the world concerning sin because they do not believe in me. And the uncomfortable truth is that when you do not believe in Christ, well, then you're believing in something else. None of us ever believe in nothing. You're believing in something else. And those other belief structures is what causes the outcomes. And so I have to look at myself, and we have to look at ourselves, and churches and communities look at themselves, if that was possible, and think, well, what are we believing? Because, again, I use this phrase, which I use a lot, the uncomfortable truth is that most of us are a mixture. Most of us in our life have this mixture of, of things that we believe. And it's not a lot of fun in terms of the Christian life, you know, when, when there's this tension of, of living this way, plus at the same time trying to live this way because you've got this wrestle of beliefs. And the good news is that we have the Holy Spirit to help us, to convict us, to bring these things up before our attention and go, you know, knock on our hearts, tap us on the shoulder and go, hey, look at this. And then it's up to us whether we look at it. And if we look at it, then he will help. If we don't look, do you know what happens? The moment we decide to not look at something the Holy Spirit convicts us about? Almost in the same moment is the enemy comes along and condemns. And just makes you feel horrible about yourself. And then you start disqualifying yourself. And then you're saying, oh, it doesn't matter, I'm not good enough anyway. I'll let other people do that. I'll never be able to do that. I'm, there's something wrong with me. 
That's all condemnation. Whereas the Holy Spirit comes along and says, here's the problem, and here's the solution, and here's it. I'll continue. This passage, which is actually what I want to spend, I want us to understand there's something in this for us concerning righteousness. So the Holy Spirit, in this passage, Jesus is saying that the Holy Spirit, when he comes, will convict the world concerning righteousness. And the reason he gives is because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. And so our automatic response, like my, when I, the reason why this got my attention, was that when you think about the, whole, the role of the Holy Spirit convicting me with regard to righteousness, your, the immediate go-to in your mind is, well, that's with regard to you know, how clean my life is. Well, you could say, yeah, well, well maybe, but, but that applies more to the former role of the Holy Spirit. But if you're talking about righteousness... The reason that Jesus gives is because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. And this is um, actually quite profound because what it actually brings us, brings us to confront is that what is our understanding of what righteousness is? And we also need to accept that the role of the Holy Spirit is also to show us in the work of the Holy Spirit with regard to conviction concerning righteousness is that, is that the way that the world thinks about righteousness is absolutely wrong. The world's model of what is right in terms of righteousness is actually not the way God thinks. And Using this, like the Old Testament scriptures, the law, and as that flows through, and then when you think about the Pharisees and the scribes and the teachers of the law, there's another passage that says, you know, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will not, you know, you're not, not heaven bound. And so these, these concepts, you think, well, what, what is righteousness then if it's not just being clean from sin? Righteousness is more than just that. It's a bit of a puzzle. It's something worth meditating on. And there's more to it than what I'm going to reveal to you just today. Righteousness, when it actually comes down to it, has more to do with because I go to the Father, when Jesus went to the Father, he, he went up there we just had communion as the, the Lamb of God who was found worthy. None other could be found and Jesus was found worthy and he opened all those seals and Jesus, his own blood, poured out in that heavenly altar and he offered because he was sinless once and for all this transaction in heaven. This, this, this heavenly liturgy, if you like, of what was done again and again and again on earth in the tabernacle and then later in the temple, this heavenly 
ceremony, liturgy, the sacrifice of Christ, that which paid the price for our sins, a finished work, and Jesus stands before the Father clean. And we stand in him. And so this is the essence of righteousness. But guess what? Jesus, Jesus just didn't stay in that place. The, the thing continues in the now Jesus is seated in heavenly realms, in Christ Jesus, and he rules. And guess where we are? The ones deemed righteous. We are in him. We are co-heirs with him. Not by anything that we've done, but by faith. You know, all the other, do the work of the gospel in us. But we reign with Christ. And this is an ongoing work right here, now in time. And righteousness has a lot to do with this. Our righteousness in him. And righteousness... has a lot to do with rule, a lot to do with dominion, a lot to do with Jesus Christ. And you can see that there's a whole structure of beliefs. It's what we believe about ourselves, what we believe about others, what we believe about the church. And all those things, what we believe, creates a structure. This, like this framework, a pattern of thinking, which enables us to rule enables us to have and establish the dominion of Christ and the Bible talks about this about the rule of Christ I'll continue then it says here concerning, concerning judgment so you can sort of graft it into the, the verse that went before and when the Holy Spirit comes he'll convict, convict the world concerning judgment and the reason because the ruler of this world is judged and so this is something that has happened sometimes we think uh, that you know for the the enemy for Satan to be finally judged you know that's something that's going to happen in the future but no no this this has happened the enemy has been judged And you know the thing about the thing about sin is that you know the long story of sin in the first in instance the enemy you know deceived Eve and how did he deceive her you know by questioning what she believed and then, you know, going back to what we were preaching about before, when Eve and then Adam, along with her, chose to believe something contrary to God, sin entered the world. And the essence of, of sin is, is unbelief. It's not believing God. And so you go through all of history, and now we have this place where, where Christ... In, in living a, a perfect life, in believing what the Father said, because Christ came as a man and was fully man, and he, in, in his humanity he believed God. 
even to the point of death on the cross. There's that passage in Philippians that says where Jesus you know, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but humbled himself, you know, even to death, and death on a cross. Eve wanted to be like God. And Adam thought, oh, this fruit is nice and I want to have knowledge like God's got. Maybe. I thought, maybe we can shortcut this. I'll eat the fruit and I'll become like God. And all of that come out of deception and come out of something she chose to believe because she believed a lie. Jesus Christ, time and time again, he, he chose not to try and shortcut anything, but rather to walk the cross. When Satan offered him all the kingdoms of the world on the, you know, when he was tempted in the wilderness, he said no. He did not succumb. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane saying, Lord, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. He said, no, not my will. Your will be done. Jesus lived a perfect life and he demonstrated that sin is sinful. He demonstrated and proved that a human being born without a sinful nature, it was possible to believe God and to obey God. That Adam and Eve they chose a wrong path. Jesus Christ, in his, in his humanity as a man, chose a correct path. And in doing so, he demonstrated that what God wanted, you know, our eternal God and his creation, that what he had created was actually not an impossible task. It was possible for someone without a sinful nature to submit to God and to walk in fellowship with God and to, light, to, to delight in that. Sin was proved to be utterly sinful. And Jesus paid the price for that sin. That's only one way of looking at it. There's lots of ways of looking at it. Jesus is our saviour. He's our redeemer. And in doing so, in demonstrating that sin was utterly sinful and that the deceiver is in fact a liar, he was judged. Didn't have a leg to stand on. Satan you know, rebellion in his heart, the pride in his heart, all that thing's exposed. This was not inevitable. God had not set up something that was, you know, a, you know an impossible scenario. No, it's very possible. Jesus proved it's possible. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. And the enemy of our soul, the one that comes along and lies into our hearts, He's been judged. It's not inevitable that we'll fall into sin. It's not inevitable, you know, that his unholy schemes will come to pass. No. No, because we have Jesus, our Saviour. We don't have to succumb because Jesus has overcome. And it's a wonderful thing. The ruler of this world is judged. Now, Satan has been described in one of his, his sort of labels is he's, he's the, the accuser of the, the brethren. He is our accuser. He will accuse you. We are talking before about the conviction of sin. You know, Holy Spirit comes along, convicts you of something. You have a choice. Am I going to listen or not? And the moment you don't listen, ah, you're accused. And you feel condemned. He's an accuser. 
that our accuser has been judged. He has been deemed to be a liar. He's been cast out of heaven. He no longer has access to the throne of God. But we just learned before that one of the things that we have with this Holy Spirit coming in us, we, we receive a deposit of the Holy Spirit when we believe in Christ, become Christians, that deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. What is our inheritance? Well, we're co-heirs with Christ. It's a guarantee. We sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, ruling with him. And what is this rule? It's a rule of righteousness. And why do I preach like this? Why do I talk about these things? Well, because, because we're, we're meant to have outcomes. And a lot of the outcomes with regard to righteousness are dependent upon what we believe. Remember there it says concerning sin because they do not believe in me. There's a whole host of scriptures that I could, you know, go on to. You know, John in his epistle says here in John chapter 3, 23, he says this is his commandment. So this is the commandment of Jesus Christ, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded. And it goes on, the next verse says, whoever keeps his commandments abides in Christ and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. You see there the role of the Holy Spirit right there? And so the Lord Jesus has given us some very, you know, straight up commandments that we will believe. And if we don't believe, well, that's a place of sin. Because the sin comes out of what we believe. And so we thank God. And there's many more scriptures. You know, judgment has been exercised. And, and I could preach a whole other sermon on that, but I, but I won't. Most of this I put there yesterday for my own sake, you know, for the future. And um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish there rather than go on for another 20 minutes. But the, the reason why I'm preaching like this, yes, it's for our sake, what we believe, for our own selves, for our own families, for our own future, you know, that, that the rule of righteousness would be established in our heart. In one of the earlier messages I preached with regard to, to righteousness is that very often if you were to look through the scriptures with you know, your, your Bible apps and do a search on your righteousness, you'll, you'll find that this concept, your righteousness, that is God's righteousness. For example, Psalm, Psalm 5 says, Lord, Lord, lead me in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make my way smooth before me. This, this whole concept of your righteousness being led in righteousness and living in righteousness, these two concepts come up, that of having your feet being set on a level path and being protected from the enemy. These two concepts come up again and again throughout the scriptures. And 
Righteousness is a wonderful thing. And yes, it's being clean. But the essence of it is being able to stand before the Father in Christ Jesus, being seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus and ruling with him. How do we rule with him? Well, of course, we rule in our own lives with regard to what we believe, choices we make, but it's more than that. We have a spiritual authority in Christ to carry on this ministry of reconciliation, the ongoing subjugation, everything bringing brought underneath the feet of Christ because we're in Christ. We're talking about a kingdom of righteousness, which is another scriptural concept. And it's prophesied. Okay, where is it? Well, it comes up again. There's so many scriptures. If you're interested, or you can come and find it later. Oh, well. Somewhere I found it. I think it was that one. I won't take the time to try and find it. That it was prophesied in, in Isaiah. Yeah, that's not a bad one. Isaiah 26 verse 9, My soul learns, yearns for you in the night. My spirit within me earnestly seeks you. For when your judgments are on the earth, the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. This was prophesied long ago. There's another one. But these concepts come up again and again. That righteousness has more to do with more than just being clean before God. It has to do with reigning with Him, establishing a righteous rule. How is that righteous rule established? Well, it has to do with what we believe. It has to do with what governs our thoughts, our behaviours. And then that overlaps into families into congregations, into cities and nations. It affects culture. It's a rule. A whole structure of belief, a righteous rule, a kingdom of righteousness based in Christ. It's exciting. And why do I preach like this? Well, it's for Mount, for Mount Morgan's sake. Because there's been a message preached in Mount Morgan which is not a, a gospel. It's a, a bad news rather than a good news. There's been a bad news preached in Mount Morgan in the culture for, for generations. And some others who hate righteousness, love the darkness, they've, they've preached other things making very unholy claims over this town, over the, the people, over the wealth. But I preach like this because there is a king who has a righteous rule and he has dominion and I speak this into the heavenly realms concerning Mount Morgan, and it concerns ourselves too, but concerning Mount Morgan and this locality, Jesus Christ is the king of righteousness. He has a righteous rule. His kingdom will come. His will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's our king. He has dominion. And I'm believing for it. And so... I'm finished with that declaration. There's a whole other message. I might preach it with regard to righteousness and things that are proclaimed because there's a whole lot of things that happened 
in Jerusalem as a result of what John, when the Apostle John received that revelation and he wrote down the revelation to the seven churches and these things and the whole of that revelation, that prophecy, that word was spoken out in the earth. A whole lot of things happened immediately after that. And so as the children of God who rule in righteousness with him, we're meant to speak things out, we're meant to believe things. The things that we do, things that we say, things that we pray have power. And it's actually the way that Christ exercises his righteous rule. It's through you and I. His people here on earth in time establishing his kingdom because we reign with him. And it's meant to be a righteous reign. So Father, I ask you for your grace. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for your righteous rule. Indeed, make us wise regarding these things, Lord, that you would reign in our heart. And how do you reign? Well, it's by your spirit in us, teaching us and showing us, renewing our mind, changing the very way that we think, transforming us into your likeness. None of this is possible without your help. Holy Spirit, come fill us and help us. And Lord, I lay out this intercession for Mount Morgan and I thank you for the agreement of my brothers and my sisters. Would you save? Would you deliver? I thank you for the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, our risen and glorified Saviour who reigns on the throne of heaven and indeed all the things that lift their head against the knowledge of the Lord here in Mount Morgan, they shall be crushed, broken like pieces of pottery, smashed with an iron bar, just like the scriptures say. Thank you. May the rule of Christ be established here in Mount Morgan. So Father, I pray for the families. I pray for the schools. I pray for business and commerce. I pray, Lord, for all the layers of society. Thank you that you hear such prayers. Would your hand be upon this place? Thank you that you are our deliverer. In Jesus' name, amen.